As I was saying, um, every year we, we participate in something called Advent Conspiracy where we're challenging ourselves to think differently about Christmas than our culture tends to, where our culture sen- tends to say uh, that, that giving gifts equals meaning. And so we, we spend time and energy and money um, just thinking about like how to give the, the perfect gift to someone. And in our effort to do that, we end up experiencing high levels of stress and we end up giving things that may not be received with the spirit in which we tried to give them. And so um, every year we've, we've been trying to say, what does it look like for us to spend less monetarily on the people that are around us and then instead give more? Um, and what we mean by that is give relationally, give uh, gifts that are more meaningful from the heart, either making something or expressing a word of encouragement or spending time with people. Um, and, and then because that costs less to give those kinds of gifts, what have we, in the margin that we created by not taxing out our credit cards and, and, and uh, overspending on the people around us, what if we took that margin and then gave it to people as a gift for Christmas in terms of what they actually need? And so um, over the last six years, we've been giving uh, to the people in Haiti um, various things um, to help them as a community to, to become more healthy and get educated and things that, that are actually tangible, um, things that change their community for generations to come. Uh, and so this year, just to let you know, we're, we're giving again um, towards clean water. And you might think, okay, like, I thought we did that already. Don't they have clean water? And yet they do, but many of you who've been to the community realize that they have water in one kind of far-reaching area of the community but that, that area where they have clean water is not near the school. And one of the things that we've um, discovered over the last six to eight months or so is that they've located a place to get water that's right in the schoolyard, essentially. They would put clean water at the fingertips of every child in Shadrach so that they could have clean water while they get their education rather than having to choose between health and education. Um, and so we're, we're going to um, give towards that as a, as a church community, just so that you know. Um, we're, we're not sure when that's actually going to happen uh, in terms of beginning that project, but as a church we're going um, to match some of, of what you give. And so think differently. And if you need help and resources to do that, adventconspiracy.org is a great uh, resource. There's tons of... Uh, I think Pinterest articles and videos and different things. You feel like, I just don't know how to go about this. I, I feel like I, I want to, but I'm not, I need some help getting there. Go there and check out what other people have done. It's a great resource. Sound good? Okay. We have um, been in a, a series that we started last week. We're going to continue through uh, Christmas Eve called, uh, And He Will Be Called. And that term comes out of Isaiah 9. Uh, and so we're going to read that again. If you need help finding Isaiah 9, it's on page 479 of the, the Bibles that we have. And this is what it says. The people that are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And verse 6 says, For, for to us... A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. And these are the four parts of the series. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so what we're doing uh, throughout the month of December is we're highlighting each of those four roles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're taking one sermon on each of those to highlight how it is that Jesus comes to be those things for us and to illuminate the darkness of our own hearts or our own experience or, the, or this world and bring knowledge of how He comes to be those things for us. And each of them are needed in, in, a, in major ways. Um, and so last week we talked about God coming to be our everlasting Father and what that looks like. And today we're going to talk about Prince of Peace. What does it look like for Jesus to be the one who comes and brings peace? It's something that we desperately need to know, right? Um, I don't know about you. How, how many of you have had a peaceful 2016? By show of hands. <laughs> Why the laughter? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, on occasion, right? What, what have been some of the things that have contributed to the lack of peace? What's that? Loss of a loved one, yeah. I, I, that's how my... <laughs> I knew someone was going to say it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a dark time politically, at least for many in the country. Um, many of us have experienced darkness in terms of a loss of a loved one. That's how my 2016 started out, and I know I'm not alone in this room. What else? Hurricane Matthew. So we weren't the only ones that experienced darkness. Our, our family members in Haiti certainly experienced it, and others in Cuba and, and along the coast in Florida and North and South Carolina. What else? Just our country, yeah, just, I mean, it sort of feels like a dark time or at least a, dis, a, a time of disunity, if nothing else, right? I mean, regardless of how you feel politically things are going, just the fact that people aren't united feels dark feels like there's unrest, like there's a lack of peace. And here's the thing. I just, one of the thoughts that I kept coming back to this week and I want to start out with and make sure that we understand is that when Jesus comes and, and Isaiah says that the title of the Messiah is Prince of Peace, his title as that bringer and bearer of peace is not dependent on our circumstances. And one of the most powerful ways I feel like that we can bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace as a community is when we have peace when our world is in the middle of turmoil. When everything around us seems to suggest that we shouldn't have peace, and yet we do have peace. And the reason is because the reason that you can have that, and I believe deeply that you can and that I can, is because we're not looking to the world to give us peace. Because we know it can't. And so instead we look to Him. And so what we're going to talk, to, talk about is 
is how do we turn from the world as a source of peace and turn to him instead? The first thing that you need to know is we need to understand this concept of what peace means because many of us think in our minds that it's kind of a lack of war or or just the the absence of conflict. The word peace, at least in the Old Testament, is the word shalom, and you've probably heard that word before. But the word shalom means essentially for the world to be exactly as it should be. For everything to be in its proper place, to be working as it should be, for, for there to be overarching harmony and unity and love and togetherness. And see, the, the best picture that we have of the world when it was experiencing shalom was in the first days of our world in a place called the Garden of Eden. And the Garden was a place, if you know the story, that God had created as a perfect environment for us to live. The perfect place for us. The place where we felt most at home anywhere in the world. It was there. It was a place of perfect rest. Perfect provision. Perfect relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. It was working exactly as it should be. And because it was working exactly as it should be and there was no sin, there was no shame. You could be completely honest and open with everyone around you. Can you imagine that? No facades. No covering up. No hiding. No blaming. No disunity. Uh, I've heard so many people, like when I talk about this concept of there being this Garden of Eden where it's our perfect home, I don't know if you've heard this maybe in, in the people that you, you talk with, or maybe you feel this way yourself. You go, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a pipe dream. I mean, there's no way a place like that could have ever existed. I mean, are you serious? I mean, it sounds like a children's fairy tale. And oftentimes what I'll say to people if I, I hear them expressing that opinion is, then why do you long for it? If it doesn't exist, why in the world are, are you in search of it? And why are you not okay with the fact that this world doesn't look like that? I mean, if if we were created for a world of brokenness and shame and disunity and hatred and even war, then every one of us should be okay with it, and yet none of us are. All of us look out at our world and we go, nope, it's broken. It needs to be fixed. Somebody's got to fix it. And the, the reason that we look for somebody to come along and to fix it and to make it better and put the world back together is because we were made for that world to be put back together. See, the fact that you long for it is evidence that it existed and, and evidence that God will one day make it exist again. See, but here's the thing. We have to understand the reason why it does not exist in our world. And the reason that it doesn't exist is because when we did live in that garden, in that perfect place, there was a time when when we were listening to God and trusting Him and looking to Him as our provision and our source of peace. And, And somewhere along the way, we ended up trusting not in Him, but in the deceiver. We looked to someone called Satan or the devil, the, the, the schemer and deceiver, the one who is the adversary of God. And instead of listening to God's voice and trusting what he had to say, we listened to a different voice. 
and turned away from God. And we experienced the beginning of brokenness and destruction. And, and the result of that decision, whether or not you feel like you were a participant in it, it was done just the same. The result of it was that the garden went from a place of being full of peace. I mean, can you imagine that? A, a place that's full of relational peace with God and with every other person and with all of creation working exactly as it should be to a place of brokenness. Rather than trust and honesty, there was shame and blame. Rather than the world giving to us of its fruit, its abundance, as we worked the land, instead it gives thorns and thistles and it produces death rather than life. Does it sound familiar? See, that's the world that we live in today. See, it's the result of us looking somewhere else for peace, to someone else for hope, for, to, to some other source for provision. And so shalom means that we'll never experience peace, at least in a perfect sense, unless we're submitted to the one who is perfect peace himself. See, there is only one source, family of peace. And so the peace that we experience or the lack thereof is the result of who or what we trust in to have ultimate control over our world. So another way to frame that question is who are you putting your trust in? Who are you looking to for control? Oftentimes we look to our circumstances to control how we feel that we are experiencing peace. And so our, our, our sense of it and our sense of hope and, and wonder rises when we think our circumstances come together. And, and ironically, that's why so many people begin the Christmas season with a sense of hope and wonder and peace. Because it starts to kick in the engine of maybe there is a different story that I can live in and participate in. But oftentimes we end up disappointed instead of full of peace. Why is that? Let me ask you, why is it that we begin so often every year, the the season of Christmas, thinking that our peace is going to increase and, and of it there will be no end, as Isaiah says, and yet we end up disappointed? Why do you think we experience disappointment this time of year instead of peace? Now, this is a deeper question than the first one, but I'm, I'm confident that you got an answer. We have false expectations, maybe? Sure. What else? We're looking to the wrong thing. Well, I mean, what are some of the other things that we might be looking to? Yeah. Decorations, yeah. People, maybe having family members over and then, you know, you, you're full of like, okay, th- this year's going to be different. It's going to be full of peace. And then, your mother-in-law walks through the door and you go, she's the same as she was last year. <laughs> what happened? And we're putting our peace in the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, he's not reigning over the house of, of our, our own hearts, right? We're submitting ourselves to a different ruler. I, I want you to keep that concept in mind uh, of who is the prince that's bringing you peace. And if you're experiencing something other than peace, then what Isaiah is telling us is that we're probably looking to a different prince. 
A prince is, is someone who is on his way to rule. And, and so often we can look at all these different things in our life and, and, and we can go, well, once this thing comes, then I will have peace. Once this thing is in rulership over my heart and over my life, then I will have peace. Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that we are the prince of peace over our own lives. And you might go, no, 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 I would never believe that. Yeah, well, are you trying to control everything in your own world? Are you trying to, to, to put it all in its proper place so that once it does fall into its proper place, the decorations in the house and the kids and the relatives and the, the gifts and everything, once it's all in its proper place, then I'll have peace. You're trying to be the prince. Are you not? You're just saying, if I could just exercise enough rule over my world, then I would have peace. And, and Isaiah is trying to say to us, if, if that's what's going on in our hearts, we are trying to supplant the king of the universe in his effort to bring peace. We're working against the God of the universe. I don't know about you, I, don't, I just don't want to be in that place <laughs> where I'm working against him. I, I think so oftentimes we, we think of our lives and we think that, that we, if we were to gain rulership, then everything else would be okay. And I was, I was thinking of this analogy because it, sometimes it's hard for us just to, to take ourselves off the throne and to say, God, you're in a better position to, to exercise control than I am. And I was thinking of this because, I mean, so often we look at our lives and we think, man, it's just so messy. If I could just get in there and, and, and fix the mess, then it would be better. I was thinking of this illustration of a, of a tapestry. How many of you have... Um, Either you or your parents or, or somebody around you, go to the next slide real quick. It worked on something like this. I, I remember um, as a kid, especially around the Christmas season, my mom would do these all the time. I, what's the proper term for this? All I could think of, a cross stitch. Okay, thank you. Um, my mom would do cross stitches all the time. And she'd be working on them. She, she would never want us to see as a kid what she was working on until the final product was done. And so she'd be working away at this, working away at this, working away at this. But from the perspective of a kid in the house, I would walk up to her sitting in the chair as she's working away on this, and this is all I would see. I'd be looking at the underside of it, and I'm going, Mom, what in the world is that? It looks like a blob. (laughs) It was the only side of it that I could see from my perspective, right? Right? And that's the way that it works. That's the way that a cross-stitch works or a tapestry. or sometimes I mean, those of you who have uh, Christmas sweaters kind of might work the same way. The front of the, the cross-stitch displays the beauty in order to the work, but what does the backside display? It displays the mess and the chaos. And when you're looking at the back, you can't see how the messiness of what you're looking at is producing something extravagant on the front side. It should be a good reminder to us that God actually is the one who sees the cross stitch for what it is. He's the one who's working on the other side, and he's the one who's weaving it, and he alone is the one that sees what he's producing because he alone is his eternal. But here's the thing. All of us, we look at the backside and we assume that we can see both sides and we declare that the work that he's doing isn't good. Have you ever done that? I sure have. 
We come to a conclusion in our heart that he's not worthy of our trust. And here's the thing. Many of us, we look at our world or we look at our own lives and we conclude that certain threads shouldn't be there. And we go, the work isn't good. And so if I could just pull that thread out or if I could just move this one over or if I could just weave more of this one into the cross stitch, then things would be good. The family, I want you to hear that God is weaving beauty out of what looks like a total mess. And I, it's, so, it's hard for me to say that, and I know it's hard for some of you to hear it, because I know much of what some of you are, are walking through. And so please know that I don't say that lightly. He is able to weave beauty out of what looks like a total disaster. I just want to say he's not responsible for the the sin and the mess that makes the world look like it's upside down. So we shouldn't be people that blame him like Adam did when, when things went awry in his world. But he is redeeming it. And one day, one day, I promise, family, one day, we will get to see the other side of it. We'll get to look at it from a different perspective and we'll say how glorious a work he was weaving See, but here's the truth. You're never going to experience perfect peace on this side of the cross stitch, on this side of the tapestry, without going to the Prince of Peace. Because you're going to continue to look at the underside of that piece of work, and you're going to continue to say, if I could just change it, then it would be better. And so what are you looking to for peace? And is it producing what you want it to produce? See, here's the thing. Either we'll look to the one who's doing the work on the cross stitch or we'll look to the cross stitch itself for peace. We'll look at certain threads and we'll say, I want more of that one and less of this one. And if that just happened, then I would have peace. Please don't fool yourself into thinking that that could provide for you the peace that it could. And don't fool yourself into thinking that you're smart enough or wise enough or good enough to get it done. Only you can do that. See, it's hard for us to understand what's happening in the world. It's also hard for us to understand what's happening in this text without looking at some of the story around it. Because there's a a man at the center of this story who's trying to get hold of the work, if you will. Who's trying to get hold of the tapestry to weave in his own threads. We mentioned him last week, but it's the King Ahaz. And in order to understand Ahaz's story, you actually have to go back a couple chapters from chapter 9 to chapter 7 and look at a little bit of what's going on in the story. And if you've ever read this before, one of the things that you'd realize that Ahaz is the king over the southern kingdom in Israel called Judah. At this point, the nation of Israel was divided into two, and many times those people were at war with themselves. And so King Ahaz over the southern kingdom was facing an attack from his neighbors in Syria, and lo and behold, who was going to be helping his enemy but the northern kingdom of Israel? I mean, can you imagine that, being at civil war? And suddenly the the people that were your own brothers and sisters now join with the enemy to fight against you. And the reason that they were doing that is because they wanted to overthrow Ahaz so that they could then 
gain hold of Judah's resources and use those resources to fight an even greater foe, which was Assyria. And so you've got Assyria coming, Syria, the nation, coming from kind of the northwest down, and Assyria, the even larger enemy, from the northeast. And, And so Ahaz is in the middle of this situation, and he's caught in this pressure where he feels like there's nowhere to go and no one to turn to. I mean, can you feel the panic in him? He's going, okay, do I, do I fight against Israel and Syria and lose? Because the two of them together feel like a bigger force than what we've got. Do I wait for them to come to me and lose? Or do I go to Assyria, the biggest nation of all, and form an alliance with the enemies of God's people so that they can help me and rescue me so that we can continue to be a nation? I mean, I, I don't know if you stacked up the, the options here, but on every side it looked like Ahaz was going to lose in some way. He's completely stuck, completely full of fear. So look at, at the way that he responds to this situation in Isaiah 7-2. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were what? Shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. There's a picture for you. Have you ever been in a place where every option looked like you lose and you're shaken and you're afraid to go in any direction so you just want to bury your head in the sand and forget about the world? That's where he is. And so I just want to encourage you because his desperation is the beginning of God's intervention. And we have to understand that sometimes God puts us in a situation where we have absolutely no other option except for Him. And the reason He does that is so that we will finally turn to Him. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe that's people in your life right now. I just want to encourage you because one of the greatest places that you can be in is a place of absolute dependency on God. I know it doesn't feel that way. I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, that that was the place where I had to get to. It was a place of feeling like absolutely everything else was being stripped away from me so that my only lifeline, my only option, my only source was Him. Because if I had another option, I was going to take it. And God made sure that I didn't have any other options. See, oftentimes that's exactly the point at which God shows up in the story. How many of you have experienced that being true? Yeah. It's no accident that he works that way. And he's saying to to Ahaz, God comes in and he says to Ahaz, I want to give you a different solution. It's not going to be Assyria. It's not going to be Syria. It's going to be me. I'm going to be the solution. And so he comes to his prophet Isaiah and he tells him to go and meet with King Ahaz to deliver a message to him. And this is the message that he tells him to deliver in verse 4. Say to King Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Many of you need to hear that same thing. Be careful who you look to. What prince are you going to? Take a look at your heart. Take a look at your life. Be careful who you're running to. And then keep calm. Quiet your heart down. Eliminate the other voices that are are reigning and ruling inside of you. And listen for me. And don't be afraid. 
I love this. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stumps of firewood. I mean, he, he, God, God comes along and he goes, the two biggest nations that are in your world, the two biggest enemies, the two biggest obstacles, the two biggest groups of people that, that both look like they're insurmountable foes, they are smoldering pieces of wood. Their flame is going out. They are nothing compared to me. I'm not threatened by them. Why are you? See, God's saying to him, don't fear. Whatever you're facing is nothing compared to me. Don't lose heart. You're not facing anything that I don't have the the power to bring peace in the midst of. Isaiah goes on to say this. Again, the, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. In verse 10 and 11, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the depths, the deepest depths, or in the highest heights. See, that's God's way of saying, I know you're a mess, Ahaz. I I know things aren't going well for you. I know you need help. I know you're afraid. I know you have nowhere to run. And because I'm willing to meet you where you are, you can ask for any sign that I'm going to be faithful to you. I mean, just think it up. Like, what do you want me to do for you so so that I can demonstrate my love and my dependency and my faithfulness to you? What do you need, Ahaz? Just ask for it and I can do anything. I'll show you just how much I can be trusted, just how much you can put your faith in me. I'm here to help you. Some of you need to hear that God is here to help you, that he wants to meet you right where you are. So oftentimes we think that we need to do something in order to to receive something from him. We need to be the right kind of people or we need to measure up or we need to perform or we even need to use the right language. I mean, how many of you have have, uh, gone to pray or you've prayed in a group? or Some some of us feel like really apprehensive of praying in groups of people because we're afraid that we, we might say the wrong thing or say it in the wrong way. Maybe God will like send a lightning bolt down and just strike us right there. That's not the way he works. He just wants your heart. He doesn't want the right language. He doesn't need anything from you. He simply wants you to know that he's here to help you. He just wants you to cry out to him. Will you do that? So I think God's saying it's okay. I'm here in this moment. I mean, if he's here in this moment with Ahaz, and Ahaz is considering all of these different options and going, I have nowhere to look, God's going, it's okay. I'm not mad that you're running away. I'm still for you. I still want to save you. Last week we talked about God being a good dad that wants his children to come to him as they are. So I want you to understand, he wants you to come to him as you are. But understand, too, that when he does come and when you go to him, he wants to first bring peace to you before he brings peace to your circumstances. He wants to bring peace in your heart because that's where he makes his home and and enables his rulership to happen. And so the fact is, I can't promise that your circumstances will change. And, And nowhere does God ever promise that for you. At least not right away. But what he does promise is that you can have peace internally before absolutely anything changes externally.
See, and here's how we know it's possible. Because later on, Isaiah says this in, verse, in, in chapter 26. You keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on you. And God wants Ahaz to stay his mind on him to look to him for his help, for his hope, for his peace. And what that means is to have your mind stayed on God is to keep your, your focus on him. It's to throw the weight of your life on him. Is to say, I have no other option but you. And so oftentimes I think we can think that, that we do this in one area of life and, and yet we struggle with it in another area. You might be here this morning hearing that that peace is available to you and you go, yeah, it is available. I believe it. I I rest in it. I want it. I I trust that God can give it to me. And so these become times where, where we experience the peace of God. But the problem is God wants all of our life. And he doesn't want all of our life to be lived inside of this building. The reason that we gather here is so that he could remind us of his peace so that we can go out into this world and experience peace everywhere. And so if you're experiencing peace here but not elsewhere, then you're not staying your mind on him. Because if you were, you'd be experiencing peace. And I would be experiencing peace. And so we need to know how to do it when when we're in times where we draw away from the world And that's right and good, and we need to know how to do that. We need to gather together to be reminded of that. I'm not disparaging any of that. But we also need to know how to do it moment by moment by moment. Day in, day out, every minute, every hour, as we need it. And one of the things that God has been reminding me recently is just how much the Spirit of God is available to me to be a constant line of open communication between Him and me. That I, I, the fact that Jesus came and cleansed my heart so that he could send the Spirit to me means that I have the Spirit everywhere that I go. That I can have peace no matter where I am. I just want to remind you that's available to you too. But it's not just thinking happy thoughts. And oftentimes I think as Christians we think, oh, it's just kind of like looking on the bright side of things. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I can't do that. <laughs> We just think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts. The world is okay. The world is okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. It's not okay. And God knows it's not okay. He doesn't want you just to gloss over your circumstances. He wants you to bring your circumstances to Him so that He can give you peace regardless of them. It's not just thinking well of the world or... or, or, or repeating a certain verse to yourself so that you forget about what's happening. It's, it's massaging the hope of the gospel into your circumstances so that you rise in the midst of it. Is that happening for you, family? See, that can happen anywhere. It can happen here. It can happen at home. It can happen in the midst of the, your hardest circumstances. And he wants to do that for you. I love the, the sign that Isaiah talks about. He says it's the deepest depths and it's the highest heights. So it's like no matter where you ask of it, I'm going to give you a sign in the midst of that. 
If it's at your best or at your worst, it does not matter. Ask for it anywhere, anytime, in any circumstance, and I will be there. I'm available everywhere you go. I was reminded of this recently. I was kind of in the midst of something and um, realized that God was calling me to do something that was very difficult for me to do. And I remember driving to the place where I needed to do it, and I was sitting in my car, and, I, and I'm, I'm arguing with God. I was actually arguing with myself, and then I realized that the other voice I was arguing with wasn't me. It was him. And so I'm having this conversation with him where we're going, you know I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do this? I'm tired. I, I just want to, I want to curl up. I want to go away. I don't want to be part of this. I, w- I want to do my own thing. And, and one of the thoughts that I remember that, that came out in the midst of the frustration, this was kind of a cry to help because I, I wasn't humbling my heart. I, I wasn't asking for his help. I was just telling him what I wanted to do. And one of the things that I... I in that moment of desperation that came out of my heart was, I'm tired of having to be strong. And I knew it was the voice of God at that point because the moment I said that, the voice that I heard in response was, who told you you need to be strong? Who told you you needed to be strong? That wasn't me. I'm strong where you're weak. Come to me when you're weak, and I'll make you strong. Who told you 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 needed to hold up the world on your own? I never asked you to do that. I uphold the world. And I invite you to, to, to come underneath my shoulders as I'm bearing the world for you. Will you come to me? I remember at that point, I'm like, okay, I have two choices. Either, either I, I reject that and say, okay, it's still up to me. Or I humble myself and I just say, I couldn't do it anyway. And you never expected me to. See, the, the hard part of the story is that Ahaz rejects the voice of God. In verse 12, he says back to God, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. In other words, I'm not inviting you in, God, to resolve this problem. And it sounds like Ahaz is being really strong, doesn't it? I mean, to say back to God, no, Lord, I'm not going to put you to the test. It sounds really pietistic and religious and spiritual, doesn't it? And yet it's a total cover-up for how scared and ashamed and fearful and, and small Ahaz feels. So he's scared out of his mind, but he refuses to ask God for a sign because he doesn't really believe that God can save him. Just, are you in that place? Are you in that place where you feel like you need to be strong and you're telling back to God, like, No, Lord, I won't ask for a sign. I'm okay. He doesn't want you just to be okay without him. So oftentimes we can do this. We can think that we're looking strong. We think we'll be worthy of his love or, or that he'll pat us on the back when it's all over and say, hey, great job, you did it. He wants to do it. And here's the thing. 
God sees right through Ahaz's facade. And by the way, he does with ours too, just like he did with mine. Verse 13 and 14, Isaiah says to him, Hear now, you house of David. In other words, you think this is about you? (laughs) You're just one in a line after King David. Do you think you're strong? Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? You hear the frustration there? It's starting to bubble out, right? Isaiah is a prophet after all. Then he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, sometimes God isn't waiting for you to let him in. He's just going to bust the stinking door down himself. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. Here God's going, okay, Ahaz, you won't even ask for a sign because you you don't think that you need my help. I'm going to come in the flesh to show you just how much you need me. You didn't ask for a sign, so I'm going to give you the greatest sign in the the history of the world. I'm going to come myself and I'm going to do it. Has that ever happened to you? Where you refuse and you refuse and you refuse, say, I will not bow, I will not humble myself, I will not ask for help. And God says, because I know you need it, I'm coming in anyway. Oftentimes the way that he does this is in removing what we feel like is our most strongest strength, if I can put it that that way. The options that we go to time and time again that that we think are going to be the thing to save us, oftentimes he kicks the legs out from under that sign so that we have no other option but him. So God is saying to Ahaz, "You, you can't humble yourself enough to come to me, to, to, so just so that your nation will be saved. I mean, think of all the people that are under you. And because you can't do it, I will. Because you can't save them, I will save them. I will be the better king. I will be the prince of peace. Now, if you know anything about the story, this doesn't happen for a long, long time. 700 years this goes on. Because Ahaz wasn't alone in, in rejecting God's offer for help. Almost every single king did exactly the same thing. Ultimately, after all this time, God gives them a sign that he will save his people, both from their deepest depths and the highest heights. He says, I will come in and I will bring a sign unto you that will fulfill every criteria of every area of peace that you need. And he comes in in the deepest of depths and God When he comes in the form of his son, he comes as a helpless baby born into a poor family, into a town that no one thought anything ever could come any good. He said, you want to see how low I'm going to go with this sign? I'm going to go to the lowliest of places. I'm going to be born in a feed trough for animals. That's how low I'm going to go. And the king of the universe comes and no one notices save for a few shepherds in a field. Isn't that amazing to you that God would stoop that low for you? Not only that, he goes along in his life and and he goes completely unnoticed for 30 years. I mean, can you imagine that? 
the one who made the world and the universe and hung every star in the sky is actually living on earth in the form of a human and no one knows about it? And that just it boggles my mind every Christmas to think of that. And then he becomes even lower and, and Philippians 2 says that the one through whom the universe was made became nothing and submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. He became a, a lowly servant for you and for me. I mean, you can't get lower of a sign, right? You can't go lower than that. He became nothing so that he could lift us up into God's presence forever. And he took on himself our rebellion so that the weight of our sin could be lifted from our shoulders for all eternity. He couldn't go lower than that, right? But then the same sign is the the highest heights as well because God himself shows up in our neighborhood so that we'd know forever that we're not alone. The king of the universe comes near to us, to you and to me because he loves us. And so it's both, right? Highest of heights, lowest of lows. And I just want to make sure that you don't miss this. If you've been looking for a sign that God can be trusted to bring peace to you, that he's a good king and a good dad that can bear the weight of your life and your problems and your sin and your shame on himself, that he can take all of that and more away. There is no greater sign than Jesus and what he's done for you. There is no greater sign. If you're waiting for another one, please come to your senses. There's no greater sign than that. So I want to ask you, where are you looking to for your help right now? Where are you going to for your peace? Please don't look to your circumstances. Please don't look to your relationships. Please don't think that if you could just change this or change that person then somehow things would go better for you. You have no ability to change other people. You're not the creator of the cross stitch. Only God can do that. And so if you, here's the promise though, if you submit your heart to the Prince of Peace, if you stay your mind on him moment by moment, he can bring peace regardless of whether or not he chooses to change that person or that circumstance. I mean, so many of us have, We've been looking to our jobs to improve or to our children to succeed for us. We're looking to get the right person in the right office politically. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with wanting our, our nation to improve or, or our, our policies to get better or to have good governance. But, but don't ever fool yourself into thinking that getting the right man or woman into office will give the world peace. That's placing your hope in something that cannot bear the weight of that hope because every person in every office is just as broken as you and me. Every one of them are in need of a Savior. And so we won't experience a world of shalom until every heart on the planet is submitted to Jesus. And that day is coming, which should give us hope. But it should also give us perseverance to know that we can, we can persevere even when we don't see it today. See, Ahaz's story, when it continues, you realize that he actually does go to Assyria for help. He rejects God. And and the result of that is not only do they only get temporary asylum as a nation, 
But the people, because of their association with Assyria, start to worship false gods. They start to run after other things. And they begin to look like every nation on the face of the planet rather than the nation that belongs to the true God. And and the thing that always racks me about understanding that from this story is that God allows them to go. Isn't that crazy? God knows what's best for them, knows the danger and what they're choosing, and he allows them to choose it anyway. He let them experience going to the wrong source for help and for hope and for peace. I think the reason that he does that is because in his grace, he actually wants us, he wanted them to see that other sources can't provide what only he can provide. And things get really bad. Uh, If you know the story, Jerusalem as a city is completely leveled. And the temple, which was the place where God actually dwelled on earth, is destroyed. And every every artifact, including the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments, they get carried off into pagan lands. And the people also are carried off into exile and slavery. But God allows it to happen. He actually wants them to see that another prince cannot provide what only he can provide as the perfect prince of peace. See, and here's the thing I've, I've come to learn. God has allowed several things in my heart, in my life, times of deep darkness where I, I said in the moment, how in the world could this possibly be good? I don't get it. I mean, I I understand that I was part of the problem and bringing it about, but how in the world could this ever result in good? And later on in my story, and I know I'm not there yet because I'm not not even going to see how he's weaving some of these threads into a pattern until I see him face to face. But I've gotten a glimpse at some of them, times when I felt like it was the darkest of times, and God's shown me later on, I I was giving you a taste of the result when you look to some other source. Maybe he's doing that in your heart, in your life right now. Isaiah 9 reminds us when we do come back to him what happens. He says, the people walking in darkness, do you feel like it's dark? They've seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And for the people in Ahaz's day to think of a day when God was going to do that was just unimaginable. So often in our dark times we go, I don't get it. It's just really dark. I don't see how the light can shine through. And God wants you to know that the light shines shines brightest in the darkest of places. He wants to do that in your heart now. He wants to give you joy. Like people that are rejoicing at the harvest. I'm convinced today that Jesus wants to take the burden of what's causing you unrest upon his shoulders. Uh, one of the images that Isaiah gives us is that, that he breaks the yoke of oppression. He takes the yoke off of our shoulders and he puts it on his shoulders. Now, I think he wants you to know that you weren't meant to carry it alone, just as I wasn't meant to carry it alone as I'm sitting there in the car arguing with him over what I can and cannot do. He's going, I don't want you to put it on yourself. I want you to put it on me. Will you put it on me? 
And that's the greatest gift that he can give you, by the way. It's the gift that only he can give you. And I want you to hear again the words of Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, to you, a child is born. To you, a son is given. To you, a solution is here. To you, a prince is bringing real peace. Have you received him as that gift? Peter, actually, much later in the story, tells us what it looks like. He says this, and this would be my words of recommendation to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It starts with humility. It starts with admitting that you need his help. It starts from recognizing that you've run to other princes for your peace. And then what do you do once you recognize that, once you humble yourself, you cast all your anxiety upon him. Because why? Because he cares for you. Because he wants to take it up upon himself. Because he's already taken the weight of sin upon himself for you. And if he's done that for you, he will do all else for you. See, God invited Ahaz to humble himself and admit that he needed help to turn to him and to put all of his, his need for peace on God himself. And unfortunately, Ahaz chose not to humble himself. And he took his anxiety to other places. And I just, you have a choice, family. Over the next few weeks, you have a choice of who you're going to go to and who you're going to put it on. Have you cast it on him yet? I want to pray with you, but I I want to do it in a specific way because I I feel like many of us need to to do a work in our hearts. We need to do something specific and tangible to feel like we're putting it on him. So let's let's go to him in prayer. And I I want to invite you to close your eyes. Um, And as we pray, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to ask the Spirit if there is another prince that you're running to for help, for peace. And whatever that is, if it's a person, if it's a circumstance, if it's you, I want you to just imagine that physically standing before you. I want you to imagine off to your right as you keep your eyes closed that Jesus is standing there. I want you to picture what it looks like to turn from that other thing that's failing you and to turn to him. Literally picture yourself turning away from the other and turning to Jesus. Now, hear hear Jesus' words to you this morning. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Cast your cares upon me. All your anxiety. Do you feel the weight of those anxieties on your shoulders? Lift them off and put them on him. I want you to see Jesus taking the weight of your burden 
right now. Doesn't he look strong? Doesn't he look capable? Feel how light you feel right in this moment. Jesus, thank you that you carry our shame and our burden and our anxiety. Thank you that you're much more capable of it than we are. Will you be our Prince of Peace, our help? We humble ourselves and we ask for it. God, we need it. Thank you that you're strong where we're weak. Teach us, Lord, how to do this. Write what we're doing now, not just here, but this evening and tomorrow morning and throughout this week and throughout this season, maybe even for the rest of our lives. We need you. Come, Jesus.